Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Uh, off the top of this hour, though, an interesting question. And certainly it's a relevant one in Calgary, where very much in a, in a big spread out city like Calgary, there, there can be a real need to, to have a car, to have some kind of vehicle. I know there's been an emphasis in recent years on expanding the reach of public transit, expanding the LRT, et cetera. That's not realistic for everybody, nor is necessarily riding a bike and making use of some of the new cycling infrastructure. But we do have different options in Calgary. Of course, we have Car2Go, which is essentially almost like a a taxi service that you drive yourself in one of their vehicles. You find the vehicle, you get in, you swipe your card, you drive where you need to go. You leave the car there, someone else will use it. And of course, after all the hand-wringing, all the debates, uh, Uber came to Calgary and has proven to be pretty popular. So if you live in the city, you've got those as options, but they have cost. So how do you make the decision as to whether you need to own a car? I mean, part of it is what your needs are, but I, in a lot of cases, it's going to come down to cost. If it's cheaper to use Uber, a service like Car2Go, maybe you don't need to own a vehicle. And I think uh, with uh, technology, the way things are moving, it might get even cheaper to be able to get around and not have to own a vehicle. Well, uh, joining us to talk more about it, very pleased to welcome the program, uh, Todd Davidson. Uh, He's a research associate uh, and lecturer with the uh, Energy Institute, Weber Energy Group at the University of Texas at Austin. Has done some research on this very question. Todd, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Rob, it's a pleasure pleasure to join you this afternoon. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this would have been a different question, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it, it certainly would have. Um, I, I would say, you know, first, the, I think it's important to appreciate the, you know, the, the positive impact uh, in terms of our mobility needs that, that personal cars have had on, had on the world. They've really uh, basically changed everything, frankly, over the past 150 years. And so our research was or has been ongoing to look at sort of what are all the costs associated with personal car ownership and to try to better understand it and then to begin asking questions about uh, what are sort of emerging solutions to improve our improve our mobility and are there options um, that might be you know cheaper or uh, more um, convenient um, for a variety of reasons there may be uh, basically options that people might want to consider that are different than I would say the conventional thinking. And so that was our our research then led into basically doing a deeper dive into what we call mobility services, sort of focused on the Ubers and the Cartagos of the world. Right. And and I mean, there there are already companies who envision a world where car ownership becomes obsolete, right? Yeah, certainly. And then in fact, I mean, those companies include Uber and Lyft and uh, uh, what is now, I guess, Google is, you know, now Alphabet um, uh, with, with their major efforts in terms of autonomous vehicles. 
there's a big open-ended question, I would say, right now, that if autonomous vehicles come into play in the coming decades, uh, you know, can uh, Uber or Lyft operate a fleet of autonomous vehicles and essentially uh, provide a product or a service that's compelling enough that people would eventually completely get rid of their, their car? Um, of course, that's, that's a ways out. Um, I, I think we could see those vehicles in relatively near term, but it's still going to take a long time to change over a fleet. So, you know, our more near-term pressing questions that our work was addressing was basically to try to understand all of the uh, sort of non-obvious costs, including, say, like the value of your time. So you sit behind a wheel, all of us basically make a commitment when we when we purchase a car that we're going to sit behind the, the wheel, which can add up to a significant amount of time. And you start accounting for what is that value of your time. And some of these, uh, the answer might begin surprising you as to whether or not should you really be driving yourself around the city. Well, you're talking about making use of that time, right? Being able to, if you're if you're being driven by an Uber driver, or even if you're being driven at some point by an autonomous vehicle, the the point that you can you can do other things during that time. That's right. Uh, and so, for some people, that might be more productive than others. Um, you might be able to, um, if you need to say answer emails, um, it might be very productive time. Um, however, there it might be very productive for you if you want to just simply read a book rather than deal with the stress of driving. So that might actually be very appealing to some individuals. However, on the other hand, it, you know, if you need to. Um, move 12 head of cattle um, and you need your truck to do that, then it's not that type of option is not going to be, it's not going to be very compelling for you. Right. And so, you know, our work was to try to help identify um, what is, what's the potential market penetration really for these types of services. And we built a calculator uh, that basically to help people um, answer that question at riderdrive.org. Um, which is what we, our, our team at the Energy Institute and Weber Energy Group at UT Austin um, built this. It's free. It's available um, to, to everyone. Um, the work was funded by the Department of Energy and Oak Ridge National Labs, and basically just to try to help inform the public about their their uh, basically writing options. Um, one other maybe quick comment is that I do think it's important to recognize that the calculator right now does not account for um, say, public transportation or cycling or, or just um, walking, say, to work, uh, that will likely get included in, in future work. But right now we're trying to just hone in on one specific question, and that is the question of is it better or more economical to own a car or to use mobility services? And when you focus on just that question alone, that's what the uh, the online calculator is intended to do. Yeah. Well, and I mean, certainly it's the case. It's been the case for a long time in both the U.S. and in Canada. I mean, we do have kind of a love affair with the car, but uh, economic incentives are pretty powerful, too. So we got some some really powerful competing forces here. I totally agree with you. And, and in fact, that's, um, that idea of the, the power of sort of um, economic incentives is why we actually started with this work. You might ask, you know, I'm, I'm basically an energy researcher at, the, at UT Austin with the Energy Institute and Weber Energy Group. And you might ask, well, why, why am I studying, you know, the economics of, of transportation? And well, the reason why is because exactly like you just implied is that, you know, if you have certain economic incentives that might eventually, it might give us an idea of what people's future behavior might be. If we recognize that things really are um, reducing in, in price, for instance, then it might become a lot more likely that they might have adapt those services in the future or adopt those services in the future. Um, and then that's, that's where we as energy research come, researchers have bigger, even more kind of pressing questions is, 
I, we begin to wonder, well, what's the energy impact going to be with regards to increased mobility services? How is that going to potentially change whether or not we have basically gasoline or diesel-powered internal combustion engine cars, or do we have electric cars? And, and how is that going to then play out in terms of our basically consumption of petroleum products versus consumption of electricity generated on the grid? And so we actually... The question that we've been answering right now, which is trying to focus on the economics of mobility services and personal car transport um, mobility, is it's almost just kind of the first, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg where it's like, well, if we can begin to answer that question, then we might be able to begin to answer even these much bigger and broader questions, which is, uh, for instance, what's our, you know, our energy consumption in North America going to look like uh, 20 years from now? Yeah, which is a big question. Uh, on, on the cost side and, and looking at the U.S. driving population, and I guess what you've found so far is that maybe this uh, isn't the best option for everybody, but there is a significant portion of the driving population uh, that, in fact, could save money by by making the switch. That's right. Um, and, and, in fact, it, it could be a very non-trivial number, as we kind of describe um, in, in academia. You know, it might be north of 10 percent. It might even be approaching quarter of, of the U.S. population is, is possible. Now, it's critical to realize that um, when we do that assessment, we're basing this upon assuming that people are uh, basing their value of time um, in proportion to, say, what they're reporting to um, the Social Security Administration, for instance, is the data that we use. Um, and so if people are valuing their time in a similar way, proportional to what they, um, I guess, are, are earning, then then it's very likely that that, that that level of the population would probably be better off using mobility services. Now, that's a very subjective um, uh, question, which is what is the value of your time? And so that's a really important part of our, our work, which is why instead of actually just saying, you know, that people value their time at a specific number, that's actually why in part we built the online calculator to give people the opportunity to basically input and change the value of the time that they think is applicable themselves. Now, obviously, I mean, the, you know, this is going to depend on uh, an individual circumstance, and I, I would suspect, too, you'd see some some huge differences. I mean, someone who lives in Manhattan, for example, where it's pretty typical to hail a taxi or hop on the subway, and it's been like that for decades, that's a different kind of situation than someone that lives in, in a city uh, that's spread out, that has extensive suburbs. Uh, it's a different kind of situation. It, it's it, that's exactly right. You're hitting the nail on the head um, because there is there's a wide variation in terms of city planning, and city structure um, for both basically long historic reasons and even more just near term changes in maybe culture or, or how quickly suburbs um, expanded in, in kind of boom eras um, during maybe the 2000s. And so it's uh, Manhattan is a unique case uh, for at least a lot of um, America and North America um, more broadly. And so it, you know, is very, very dense and has um, rather excellent um, public transportation in terms of uh, being able to access subway and such. And so they're, they are dealing with kind of a unique scenario, um, but it does highlight, I would say, how in, in a case where parking is expensive, in a case where um, people might be valuing their time highly. You, some of these transportation um, modes that are kind of different than maybe conventional personal car ownership 
can begin to flourish. And so in, in a scenario maybe looking forward, you know, mobility services will likely take root most strongly in certain geographic regions, which would be probably city cores, urban centers, uh, where you have high density, you have a lot of riders and a lot of drivers because it's this ecosystem, right? You need both the drivers and the riders to be available for it to really deliver value. And um, so the city urban cores um, will will likely be the place where that takes off. And, and some cities, culturally, they might not adapt it as quickly as others. But then I think that will be, it'll be really interesting to observe it maybe come back to this exact same, we should talk to each other in 15 years from now, <laughs> yeah. 15, 20 years from now, as if, you know, automated cars come online and, and they drive prices really far down um, in terms of fares, then, you know, you could see significantly wider adoption. Oh, yeah, that, that could be huge. Absolutely. Well, uh, we'll leave there for now, Todd Moore. As mentioned, as you say, riderdrive.org, uh, if people want to find out more. But thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Rob, thanks for the time. All right, take care. That's Todd Davidson, uh, the University of Texas at Austin, uh, the uh, Energy Institute there. So that's been their research. So they say right now, just looking at the numbers, maybe about a quarter of the driving population would be better off financially by not owning a car and then using, you know, a ride-sharing service to get where they need to go. So that's still these 75% of the driving population where it wouldn't be a financial benefit. So again, that's not for everybody. But he raises an interesting point. Where are we going to be at 20 years from now? Uh, we talk, talk about the efficiency of vehicles, uh, the fact that uh, maybe they won't even need a driver in the first place. Uh, and there are other ways, I suppose, for these companies to monetize that trip. If your 30-minute commute in an autonomous vehicle means you get to sit there and watch 30 minutes of ads, maybe you don't even have to pay for the ride at all because they're making money other ways. So if you've got a company that can get you where you need to go for next to nothing, why would you own a car? So again, as he says, it gets back to what your needs are and how much you value your time, how much you value the ownership of the vehicle, what you're using your vehicle for. If your vehicle only exists to get you to work and get you home or get you to to the pub or the restaurant and then back home again, then maybe you don't need to own a vehicle. Uh, if you use that vehicle for other purposes, well, then clearly you have a need for it. So this isn't about taking anything away from anybody. This is about saying, here are your options right now. You got the option of buying a vehicle, owning that vehicle, maintaining that vehicle, having it at your disposal versus these services that, that exist. So crunch the numbers, see what works for you. Maybe it makes way more sense to own your vehicle. Uh, but I was having that conversation just recently with uh, with a co-worker here who lives relatively close, not too far from where we are, sort of near downtown, and finds that car to go, uh, it's all he needs, right? Grocery stores close by, work isn't really all that far. Find the car to go, drive to work, find another one, drive home. So that works for certain people, not for others. Anyway, 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.